are underway. Casting to you from a remote Pittsburgh studios, north of the steel city of Pittsburgh, PA, we bring you episode 19 of our podcast, Steel City Sports Talk. My name is Alex Brown. And I'm Ryan Baird. And together, we are your hosts for this podcast. Our friends at Steel City Prep have been getting a couple commits recently, and they asked if we'd like to share some. So they have, we said, of course. Yeah, but, and as you guys know, we're going to be covering them over the next, every so often, c- upcoming their season in the spring. Leading into their season, yes. And then we'll be covering them on a weekly basis. Um, seven new recruits that we're going to go over right now, starting with Jamal Maribelli from Yoke High School, running back. Next is Jerry Hurd III from Deer Park, junior senior high school in Ohio. Also another running back. Uh, Zai Sean White from USO High School here in PA, wide receiver position. A lot of offense on this on these commitments. Next one is Ray Dean from Perry High School. Another wide receiver. They're stacking up on those offensive positions. Uh, here's another one. Damon Moultrie from Penn Hills High School on, at the O-line position. Another one is Tyrone Lyons from USO High School in Pittsburgh. Two defensive commits on this uh, group of commits list that we're reading right now. And the other defensive commit of this uh, recent group is Jayshon Free from Aiken High School in Ohio at the defensive backer position. We hope that these players can lead to the success of Steel City Prep football team this upcoming season and we'll keep you up to date and, on any more content and achieve their future goals because what steel city prep is really trying to do is give kids a second opportunity to get colleges to notice them to get yeah, into college yeah. and play at exactly. the next level and, and it does they've had a lot of those they've had several of them go to d1 colleges and play high level football um now let's move on to the nfl super bowl sunday was this past sunday and I said during our last show, it was either going to be down to the last play of the game or it was going to be over by halftime. It was over by halftime, wasn't it, Ryan? It was, Alex. The Bucks just came out firing, and they, they really played a really good game. And me and Alex are going to over two stats to note. The first one is that Mahomes threw 20 more passes than Brady, but Mahomes didn't throw one touchdown, and Mahomes threw two interceptions. Brady didn't throw any, and Brady threw three touchdowns. Mahomes threw 49 passes. Brady only threw 29. And they almost threw identical number of yards. And, and Chiefs were over for three in the red zone, Ryan, and the Bucks were three for five. And that's where you get the points. And the Bucks came through when it counted. And they also got a big run from Leonard Fournette outside the red zone that carried them in for a touchdown. Uh, Gronk struck twice. The old New England magic came to fruition. And then there was A.B. Uh, I'm sure us Steeler fans all cringed a little bit when you see him get in the end zone and him get a ring after all he did and all he's done personally and with the Steelers and his situation with the Steelers. It, it, makes you, it doesn't make you too happy to be a, to be a Steelers fan and watch that happen. But it happened. Um, he's a Super Bowl champion. And what can you do? Yeah, what can you do? He played well, and he got a Super Bowl, unfortunately. I mean, it's either Bell. Oh, the man's a criminal. Bell, Bell have, the man's a criminal. Bell didn't have one carry, I don't believe. No, he didn't get a single carry. 
Neither did LaShawn McCoy, though. Either. LaShawn McCoy is back-to-back Super Bowl champ, so. He is. It gives it kind of a little slack, I guess. Yeah, he just, he knew he knew that the Chiefs weren't going to win the next year. So he's like, oh, I'll jump, I'll jump to the Buccaneers where Brady's going so I can get another Super Bowl ring. Smart. He should retire now. He should. He should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Eventually, if he retires now, he's a great player. He's had a great career in the NFL. And you wouldn't really think of that when you think of LaShawn McCoy, but he has, I believe it's 15, over 15,000 rushing yards in his career. And now he has two rings. He didn't do a lot in those in those games or in those seasons, but he has two rings. Do you think Antonio Brown will be a Hall of Famer, Alex? Yes. Adrian Peterson will be obviously. There's obviously. a lot of there's a lot of players that are getting up there that that are a lot of older players that could be retiring very soon that are for sure Hall of Famers. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? That's tough to decide, Alex. What do you think? I think he is. I think he is based on numbers. But if he's a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer, but if Philip, but it's it, well, I don't know. I you know I'm going to take that back. I don't think Philip Rivers should be a Hall of Famer unless there's a really bad class, because you don't. Want, it's the Hall of Greatest Players of in the history of the game. I feel like the NFL is he one of the greatest them, players think, in the history of the game, Philip Rivers. I don't. I don't know. I don't really think. I, I don't put think him he up is. There, but. The NFL, I feel like they add so many more players to the Hall of Fame every year than any other sport. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, Alan Fanica is going into the Hall of Fame, former Steelers offensive lineman. It's about time for him, and even more so, it's about time that Bill Nunn into the Hall of Fame as a contributor, and he will be getting into the Hall of Fame as a contributor in this upcoming class. And it's about time for both of them, isn't it, Ryan? Fanica and Nunn. Yep, definitely. Uh, they've deserved it, and they finally got it, which is great. Uh, Hall, next- of Fa- Hall of Fame game, though. I'm sorry to cut you off there, Ryan, but the Hall of Fame game this year is going to be, once again, because uh, it didn't happen last year, it's going to be Steelers-Cowboys. So that'll be fun. Two of uh, the all-time great franchises of the sport. Uh, next, I want to note on some main takeaways from the game. I have five listed down. Alex, you can add some if you want. But the first one is that the Chiefs' injured offensive line was no match for the Bucks. Mahomes is just cruising around, running around one night. I believe he ran up 500-plus yards that game, just scrambling, he looking did. for did. ways to throw the ball. I mean, he got every play I feel like he was running around. He didn't have any time. To, the play, the, two of the offensive linemen were out, and they kept get, the replacements kept getting beat. They were no beat for a Super Bowl caliber team as the Bucks. And Mahomes, I mean, he made some miraculous plays. A couple receivers dropped passes in the end zone. I hit hit them in their hands. Like uh, two plays on the same drive, third down and fourth down. Mahomes spun out. It's kind of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick play in the third quarter. He, he I know was, you're talking he was about. He getting sacked down and he chucked it back, and it, it, it hit the player in the end zone right on the goal line in the head. Because I don't think he really expected it to get to him. The next play, Mahomes is diving and he. Throws it, and I mean, it hits the guy right in the hands as well. It's impossible. And I was listening to some of the Bucks players too on the sidelines, and a mic'd up video after yeah, the they game. Believe it. They and they were, they said he it. is a magician. But he didn't have enough magic or enough tricks up his sleeve, so to speak, for his team to win the game. And Tom Brady, the ageless wonder, is obviously and undisputably the greatest of all time. Wins. For the seventh time of his illustrious career, Ryan. He's a great quarterback. I mean, what can you say? He does everything you think he can't, and that's when he's at his best, when you think he can't. That's a great way of putting it, because they always like the underdog mentality. They did that in New England, 
And I think they did that again here, especially in the middle of the season where they were struggling a little bit. Ever since the bye week, I think they won their last eight games. It's un, it's unbelievable what they were able to turn around there. Um, and give props to Tampa Bay. They went all in, and they got it. That that should be a, a message that the Steelers should have taken and that uh, Green Bay should take right now is when you have an older quarterback on your team, you go all in with them for two, three years. Don't worry about the salary cap after that because your goal, the salary cap, and picks shouldn't matter if you're if you're competing for Super Bowls on a yearly basis. Steelers were competing for a Super Bowl, and they lost two great players on defense, and they were never able to recover because they didn't get a good enough of a replacement. And on offense, they need some help. On offense, they need some help, and you can take a lesson. From I think they should draft an offensive lineman in the first round. I think but so a lot too. of people think they might draft a quarterback or a running back. I heard that the Steelers do like Kyle Trask, which is I like frightening Kyle Trask to me because too. I don't think we should draft him. Why not? Because right now, if Ben is coming back, right now is not the year to draft a quarterback. There are going to be a lot of good quarterbacks next year, and Kyle Trask, is, he, throws, he turns it over a lot too. Well, let me ask you this. If we drafted a quarterback next year, let's say Ben's not coming back after this season, would he? who's going to be able to teach him? Is he going to have to jump right in and be a starting quarterback? Because if you draft him this year, he can at least learn under Ben for a year. Learn under Ben for a year like Aaron Rodgers did for three years under Brett Favre. And now he's one of the, he's one of the greats too, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think there's something that can be gained for being under Ben Roethlisberger. And this quarterback class is phenomenal. That's an interesting take, Alex. But the other thing is Mason Rudolph has been under Ben for three years. Yeah, but he's not, he's not, he, he's not that kind of a talent. Kyle Trask, I think he's a better quarterback than Mason Rudolph ever has been. Mason Rudolph has shown potential. I don't think he's the Steelers' future at quarterback. But we'll see what happens. I, mean, I think he's a I serviceable think, back. I, think, I don't think we should draft running back early. Me neither. But I say trade for a, or a veteran guy because running backs, they've, they're they, replaceable. Short shelf life. Yeah, and they're replaceable. James Conner, unless you can get him on the very, very cheap, there's no way you should sign him. You already have Benny Snell. You have Anthony McFarland. Benny I, Snell should – no. I don't – I don't like Benny Snow that much. I'd rather have Jalen Samuels than Benny Snow. Jalen Samuels didn't do anything. Maybe give him a little bit more of a shot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Last year, I, I don't know what happened last year. I mean, the year before, he had a lot of sh- chances. And he's, he, he played okay. Uh, next takeaway I want to talk about. off topic. Yeah, we're still the, talking about the Super Bowl. The Bucks D locked down the clamps on Hill, but not Kelsey, but... Let's see how do they do it, Alex. I mean, they really double-teamed Kelsey. I mean, not Kelsey, Hill. Oh, and that's what you do. They were not going to get beat over the top. They double-teamed Hill, and they played great defense on the rest of the receiving staff. On Hardman, too. Nobody else other than Kelsey got more than two receptions. Hill, I mean, Hill, they still let him get 73 yards. The last time they played him, he almost got 300. And under 100 yards against Tyreek Hill is locking down the clamps. Because he's one of the best players, best and fastest and most elusive wide receivers in the NFL. Certainly. And it's, it's very impressive what they were able to do, considering that last time they got beat so badly in the first quarter. And, it was, and uh, Tyreek Hill had over, I think he had over 200 yards in the first quarter, and it was over from there. But they were able to get out early and often and get pressure on Mahomes early and often like they should have. And... It was a very impressive defensive performance from Todd Bowles and company. Very impressive. And that will cement his um, 
coaching record as a defensive coordinator in the years to come and when he goes to interview for coaching head coaching positions. Um, Byron Leftwich on offense, they stuck to what they were uh, strong with. With Tom Brady, they did what they had to do, and it worked. Um, but Patrick Mahomes will be just fine, right, Ryan? You think he'll be back? Oh, he'll be back. Patty Mahomes is – I mean, he had a great game. He played with turf toe. I, I know. And he was running – it seemed like he was running just fine. Yeah, he's, he's going to be really good. But the thing is, though, Protect with the man. Chiefs, though, I mean, it's hard to build an all-around, very, very talented team at all levels. There's always going to be a weak spot when you're paying one player as much as you're paying Patrick Mahomes. And then you have Kelsey on that team. You have uh, Hill on that team. You're I paying, mean, you need to give them. You need to give them options. Chris Jones. That could show that the defenses in offensive line. There's some weak points that definitely showed. I mean, they could have a like the offensive line. The five starting guys are good, but as you saw in the Super Bowl, if two of those guys get down, one of those guys get down, there's a big weak spot. Eric Fisher, their uh, first round pick from several years ago, their left tackle was injured in the Buffalo Bills game, and he was a major loss in that game. Major loss. They needed him. But I don't even know if that was going to be able to stop that. Uh, Any final thoughts? takeaway? Leonard Fournette had a big game, Alex. He did. He had that big touchdown. I was... He's, he proved out as wrong. I mean, he this did. This year he came back after he got dropped from Jacksonville. I just had a thought. I just had a thought. What if the Steelers take a chance on him? Leonard Fournette. Yeah. I know. This, last five year they should have. Last year they should have. Aaron Jones. They should have done that. No, they can't afford Aaron Jones. They can't afford Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is going to want like $14, $13 million. Yeah, the Steelers can't go after him unless Ben takes a $1 million. You mean like twenty? You mean like a $30 million pay cut? No, I was going to say we pay him $1 million. Yeah, $1 million. <laughs> yeah, he'd take that, right, Alex? He said, yeah, no. I don't care about the money. That's what he said. No, I, think he, I think if you can get him under $20 million, that'd be fantastic. And the Steelers are negotiating with him this week, I believe. But they said it's still 50 next week. whether he comes back. 50-50. I mean, I think he, as soon as the season ended, he really, like, he wanted to. I thought he was, for sure, thought he was going to come back. But then Breeze Pouncey, retired. Pouncey. Pouncey retired. Phillip retired. All these guys that are the same age as him or older than a Villanueva, or not Villanueva, or his, one of his best friends on the team in uh, Vance McDonald and Vance retired. McDonald's and Pouncey. And Pouncey. Retired. 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 And I think he's, that might, I, that's a good point, because I think he's probably going to start looking in the mirror and saying, what do I got left? I, I, he probably compares himself to these guys. He's the last quarterback of the 2004 famed draft class to be in the league. Ike Taylor said that said that recently that Ben uh, returning is setting the Steelers back a I few think years. He's right. I think he's right. I, I, I mean, I think he's absolutely right because I think you've got to start building now what you have been. That's why you get the quarterback this year. That's why you get – I think you get a quarterback in the first round. I think you go uh, – Offense alignment in the second round. Hopefully, you get a center, and then you go offense. And then you go. You have to get a lot of offense line, and you get some stuff there. But the running backs are, will be there late. They'll they'll always be there. I think they'll be there, but the main ones will be gone early. Um, any thoughts on the halftime show? I didn't like it. It was weird. It, it creeped me out a little Four bit. Out of ten. It was it was strange. I don't know where his seven million dollars went on that project. I don't know where they went. They probably went all those fireworks in the in all the spaces. There were almost more. There were like a thousand people acting in that. Those underwear things on their heads. Oh my there gosh, that was heads, weird. Basically. You you tried to explain that to me. I it didn't make it, any I sense. I can't feel my face. It was the I can't feel my face no. song no. that they started with that. Like so, like I don't know. Their faces burned. I'm not sure. 
it really looked like they had a pair of underwear on their head. But I think if you liked the weekend, you liked the performance. If you didn't, weren't crazy about him coming in, I don't think you understood it. And I didn't understand it that much. Um, let's move on to the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's the last time we'll talk about the NFL for a little bit till free agency starts eating up, Ryan. This Penguins segment might take a while. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. With the new GM hiring, Ron Hextall, and a new president of hockey operations in Brian Burke. I think it's a good balance in between them because Brian Burke has said in the past that he thinks that the Penguins' window is closed, but he came here and said that he wants to win now, but... They both say that, and I think he'll provide a little voice of, like, building for the future because the Penguins have always been about building for now. Like, since 2007 or even maybe even earlier, they've been about building for this season right now instead of maybe saying that maybe we should just start looking at the future. What do we need to build depth-wise to have a really good team in the next three, four, five years? I think think they balance each other out well because I think Brian Burke is more the Jim Rutherford type. Or he's the more, let's make a big trade here. Let's make a big acquisition here. I think Ron Hextall is more the development guy. If you look at what he did in Philly with what he did with the youngsters, especially goalie Connor Hart, Carter Hart. And we need some goalie help here in Pittsburgh. And what right he now. did in Philly is, we need is exactly help. what the Penguins should try to replicate. A nice, rough, and tough team that is really fast and can really work hard. I think so, too. And Brian Burke, we might not know a lot about him as we know as much as we know about Ron Hextall, who's a former Flyers goalie in the 90s against the Penguins. Known to have some heated moments with the Penguins on the ice, but the Penguins have also been in a lot of nice victories against him over that time, too. But now he's joining the team. And Ron, Brian Burke, as I was saying, um, 30 years in hockey management, uh, started out as a player agent after uh, playing a couple years of pro hockey himself. He, um, he was a Stanley Cup winner as the GM of the Ducks in, in 07. Uh, he's 65 years old. He's been around um, the league a lot. He knows the people. They're going to get their calls returned to re- very respected guys on the team and a lot of experience, which shows that and the Penguins have shown over the years, especially the higher Jim Rutherford, that they crave experience. And now you got two very experienced guys in the front office, Ryan. Uh, and I believe that they hired these guys now because they believe they can win this year. I mean, if they didn't believe they could win this year, they'd stuck with their interim GM until the end of the year and then made a big search then because this is the short season. I mean, they could have said this is just a wash season. Let's wait till the end of the year. See, so we can maybe hope for something this year. But if not, they will hire the very perfect guy this offseason. But they said, we want to win this season. So they hired a guy who believe can make moves to help them win this season. And in the future. Uh, these two are these two are not just on a – I think it's going to take them a couple of weeks to get acclimated, see what the, it's like on a day-to-day basis in the hockey ops department and then they're, and how this team plays in person and how they practice, and then they're going to make their decisions. You come to your conclusions then, and then when, especially when you're in the offseason, then you really take control of the team. You really take control of the team in the offseason. I don't know how much they're going to change it by the trade deadline, but I think by offseason, I think there's going to be some big moves made. I really do. Um, since we last talked, Ryan, last Wednesday, the Penguins have played a game. They lost 4-3 to the Islanders last week. Any thoughts on that game? They played overall better, but a loss is still a loss. It's not good. In a very important matchup, the Islanders really need, I believe, I think we mentioned this last time we talked, 
that they need to have a winning record against the Islanders. Because it's basically going to be those two for the fourth seed. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, though, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're, they're overall, they played good, but it's still a loss. And they're missing those clutch saves from Jari and other and goaltenders like the Smith. I mean, there's a thing we're really missing. I mean, goaltending has been bad in all aspects of the NHL for all teams this year. It hasn't as been as good as it used to be. That's because of, I mean, it takes time to get I – don't, I don't know. Players are getting better. Players are getting better um, to find more ways to beat goalies. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what a combination of it is. Maybe sloppiness, maybe a little bit of unpreparedness. I mean, a less year or weird year of COVID affects the goalies more than any other player. Could be. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, the problem is with that, but they got to fix that. If you can't make a clutch save or a pivotal save in a game, how can they? Uh, how are you going to win most hockey games against good teams? You got to make a clutch save here and there. Penguins, and Penguins played eleven that. games and have one win in, in regulation. That's that's horrible. That's horrible. You're not. Gonna, you have to win a regulation often, and I think they're going to have to do that when they play. What day do they play this week? They play coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow. Thursday, Thursday, the 11th. But, uh, so hopefully they can get something good there. I think that's a really must-win game. Yeah, I mean, if you lose they that. the Islanders again, that's right. If you lose that, the mm-hmm. Islanders jump three points ahead of you. And the Penguins have a losing record through 12 games. And they only have 11 points through 11 games. And uh, one really, really great aspect has been Pierre Oliver-Joseph, Alex. He's been a really nice ad- addition to the Penguins. He has five points through seven games, a goal and four assists, and that was a sweet snipe last time La- or, uh, versus the Islanders on That was fantastic Sunday. to see. Fantastic to see for the youngster. And he looks like he's going to be a – he might be a, a staple guy. He might be a guy that like we Like a Marino. Can, like a Marino, definitely. But except this is something we can be proud of, that we actually developed him here in our system. We drafted him, we got him. And now he's playing top minutes, and he will not be out of the lineup. And if he is, it's a horrible mistake. But I don't think he's coming and out of the lineup. And to think that he was our ninth defenseman coming into this year. That's crazy. I mean, I don't know. He just must have turned up the he's heat. He's better than playing. some of the guys that started at the beginning of the year. I think so, too. And they got Mike Matheson back last game, so it was good to see him back, too. Uh, and hopefully they can keep on getting people back from injuries. Latang was back. Uh, you think Jumbo Matheson played back. last game, Alex? Yeah, he did. Uh, I said, how do you think he played? Um, I thought he said, I don't think he played. That's my fault. But I think he played okay. I mean, he was there. He was there. He did what he had to do. Um, he was serviceable. First game back. He was better than his first two games he played. But it also takes a while to get up to speed after you're off for a couple weeks. Definitely. But hopefully we can get uh, a great Penguins win this weekend. Uh, hopefully, oh, another thing, power play opportunities. you got to convert on the power play. You gotta convert often, often on the power play, and then penalty kill. They've been struggling on the penalty kill too, so they gotta be better on the penalty kill. They gotta be better on the special teams. And they had a practice this week where it was all special teams. And they had another practice yesterday, wooden sticks. Ryan, what do you think about that? I know I retweeted that. Uh, wooden sticks. I mean, it's cool. I mean, practice stick handling, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, it's fun for the players also. I, I mean, when's the last time we played with a sure wood wooden stick? It brings back that old-time hockey field, that street hockey field with the wooden sticks. And they, uh, Todd Reardon said, the assistant coach who did the press conference that day, said that it was the player's decision, and they wanted to do it. And that good on them. And hopefully they had a good time, and hopefully they can carry that, uh, uh, that joyful, youthful energy into the game because that's so pivotal. And they need to give some of that to Evgeny Malkin, who finally got on the board last time. 
And now let's move on to Pitt, Ryan. Pitt, since we last talked, has played two games. And one of them was a great win against Virginia Tech. The other one was a loss to Virginia. Ryan, how about you go over those games for I'll us? I'll go over the Virginia Tech game. You can take the Virginia because I did not watch that one from the start to finish like the Virginia Tech game. Yeah. Uh, but the Virginia Tech game, Xavier Johnson, X-Man, started on the bench. Same with Horton. The second time that Johnson has done that in his three-year tenure at Pitt, he had, a, let's just say, a career night. 32 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 11 from 17 from field goal range, 4 for 7 from three-point range. He was dropping dimes that game, and he played a great, great basketball game. Horton, another great game. Four for nine from three. That's what we. That's what we want from him. Fifteen points a game is a great recipe to beat to beat a top sixteen team as Virginia Tech was. Justin Champagny only had ten points and thirteen rebounds, but a double double. I guess that could be considered a bad game for him. But I mean, it's still a decent game. Cool uh, Bali did not have that good of a game, but Tony came back to form a little bit. Had fourteen points. Uh, he got to the line like he's been used to. And one of the best stats from this is the Pitts free throws. That Champagne was four for four, Colbali made three out of four, so that's seven out of eight, and then Fleming Odakali was three for three from the free throw line, who and he's really struggled there this year, and then Tony was five for five from the free throw line, Horden was one for two, and Johnson was six for seven, so no player missed more than one free throw from the free throw line, which is amazing. And it was about time that uh, Pitt got back on the winning track, Ryan. And after losing their previous three games, they got back on track with a big win against a ranked opponent. And after that, they were feeling they're coming off a high. And they came, they played Virginia at Virginia, and it was close in the first half. And then there was like a five-minute stretch in the second half where a guy on hand, and it was like thirteen to fifteen. It was like it was 15, a sixteen to nothing run. Sixteen nothing run, and that's what did it. And they they couldn't recover from there. It was only a seven point loss, which isn't that bad. Virginia is a top is I think the number ten team in the country right now. They're a very good basketball team, and they just got fired. And didn't miss a three pointer there in that stretch. And Pitt, give credit to them, fought back, made it a respectable game in the end. Johnson wasn't good this game. He was three for twelve from the field. Um, Pitt struggled with shot selection. They had bad shot selection. And Champagne, I feel like, I mean, he had Champagne 18 points. Great. But at the end of the game, I feel like he's worrying too much about his shot. Or yes. About him, his own stats. Yes. I, he, uh, he got a double-double in that game as he, so, as he averages on a game-by-game basis. But he, it wasn't enough for his team to win that game. And I think he's got to be better when it comes to assists. Xavier Johnson. Even, he, Xavier Johnson was probably the best pit player, even though he didn't shoot well. He had 10 points. He had four rebounds and he had seven assists. That seven assists really jumps off the page when you consider nobody, the combined totals of everyone else that played for Pitt was less than that. And that's what he brings to the table, Johnson. He brings, uh, he brings speed, he brings energy, and he brings uh, sometimes a good game, uh, boomer bust. He's a boomer bust guy on a game by game basis. But they they have to be very guarding the three, and they have to be better when regulating and um, adjusting to the pace of the game in the future. Next game, Pitt Georgia Tech Sunday at 4 p.m. That's an important game. Georgia Tech is even as the same record overall record as Pitt, and is five and four in the ACC. While Pitt is five and five, that's an important game. And if Pitt can get that win, that would really help 
to get a uh, better seating in the AC tournament. And they should win. And Pitt has, they should. Pitt has uh, six games left. But they're sending no, no, the they some games. They have three postponed games. They have like three postponed games. Three post. More than that, maybe. Because they have to play an extra Duke game coming up, and then they play. Uh, they just got the Louisville game just got postponed. The Lu- they have to play Louisville, Florida State, uh, Boston College. They have to make up, and they have to make. They, they're making up the Georgia Tech game, the same Florida State game that got postponed. They're making up, and the Duke game. They don't have to make up the Duke game because they already played Duke. So I think there's three or three or four. I don't know for sure. So you got about seven games left. Uh, not no more than seven. They got about eight games left, and hopefully they can make the most of it. Make a maybe get a decent CBA. Six out of eight of those set. would be really nice. Five out of eight of those that'd be good too. I love five out of eight. I love six. NC State is really. I mean, I think Wake Forest. We play that. We have them again. But Clemson, those are important games. Clemson was doing really good at the beginning of the year, then they fell off, but now they're starting to play better again. Their last game, they played a lot better. And they uh, beat Syracuse by 17, and before that, they beat North Carolina by 13, Alex. Obviously, we hope that doesn't happen against Pitt, but they're a, good te- they're a decent team. They've, come, they've uh, improved throughout the season, like Pitt has, and hopefully um, Pitt can pull out a victory on Sunday. And now, that does it for our Pitt talk, and we'll move on to talk our winners and losers. Ryan, would you like to go first? I'll go first. Sounds good. I got Missouri basketball. They've been playing really, really good lately. They knocked off Alabama, the number nine team in the country, who was on a roll. They really does. I mean, they uh, they were winning by a lot. Then Alabama made it really close to the end. They missed a buzzer beater. I they believe Missouri is up by 16 points with like three minutes left. And then Alabama really, really cut it close. And Alabama almost made that buzzer beater with Anderson in overtime. And they're a good team. Both of those teams are good teams. You don't normally think of SEC teams as good basketball teams, but recently there have been. They're very good. Uh, next, Julian Champagny from St. John's Basketball. Uh, he's Justin Champagny's brother. He is averaging 19.2 points a game, and he's really carrying this St. John's team to a really good season. They did lose their last game to Butler, but they beat Villanova. They dominated Providence, and they've been playing really, really good basketball. Alex, you want to start with yours? I would love to, Ryan. My first one is going to be West Virginia. West Virginia came off a win over the re- weekend against um, Kansas in convincing fashion. It was Kansas has fallen off a cliff as West Virginia won 91 to 79 with uh, McBride on their uh, getting 29 points. And they've been on a roll as of late as they've beaten Iowa State, Texas Tech, and Kansas. And then they play Saturday against another ranked opponent, Oklahoma. But they beat number seven, Texas Tech, by the score uh, at the time there, number seven. Uh, 82 to 71, and they beat Texas Tech both times they played them this year. So I mean they've been playing pretty good basketball lately, and they've come, they've climbed. Uh, well, I don't know if you climb. I guess you climbed up the rankings from 25 to one. I don't know if you call that climbing. I can see that's climbing because you're going the right direction in terms of that. But they're they're going in the right direction definitely. And then Lashawn McCoy, um, we talked about him a little bit earlier. He's my second winner. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He has over 1,500, not 1,500, 15,000 uh, rushing yards in his career. I'm, I'm speaking over myself here. Um, but what a career he's had. marbles in your mouth today, Alex. Yeah, and he's a Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a Hall of Famer. Pitt product, and he's, an, he's probably going to be him and Larry Fitzgerald are the next Pitt players to go into the Hall of Fame. Ryan, you're your losers. My first loser, Duke basketball. They 
have lost three straight games after beating Clemson to Miami 77-75, North Carolina 81-87, no, 91-87, then Notre Dame 89-83. I mean, those are it's not, not terrible teams, but they still lost. They're 10th in the ACC, 7-8 overall. And they play NC State next, and that's a tough game too. My next is uh, it's a little bit different one. Thirteen, the 13th winningest college basketball programs of all time. They're, why are they on my losers list? You may ask. Well, they're on my losers list because none of them are ranked in college basketball rankings this week. Purdue is the only one, or Purdue is 14th. That's why. That's why it's not 14. Purdue is Purdue is ranked. A lucky top 13, right? And Duke has been dismal. Kentucky was probably on that list. St. John's Kansas, is on that list. Kansas. I mean, top teams are not performing to where they need to be. And Kentucky of, is the win- winningest team of all time. Yeah. And speaking of Kansas, that's where I begin. I my believe losers. Syracuse is one too. I I believe they are as well. And then um, Kansas has lost to some good teams this season, but they're falling to 13 and seventh, and they're fifth in the Big 12 right now. And that's just unacceptable for a team like Kansas. As they've lost, uh, they've lost four of their last seven, and that's unacceptable. And you got to keep on going the winning track. They beat Oklahoma State on Monday, ranked opponent there, and um, so that's a good win for them. But they have to keep that going um, over the next couple games. But they are a loser because they're not ranked right at this moment. Um, my other loser is the Washington Post, and the reason the Washington Post is my second loser is because of the disgusting obituary title that they wrote for Marty Schoenheimer, Ryan. Did you see that? Yes, I, I did. Quote, it was terrible. And I quote, Marty Schoenheimer, this is the title of it, NFL coach whose team's wilted in the postseason dies at the age of 77. That is disgusting for them to do such a thing right now. Marty Schoenheimer has won a lot of games and has left a heck of a legacy in the NFL. And he's gone to Super Bowl He's gone to the Super Bowl, and for them to write something like that is so disrespectful. For any person that's done For any person. For any person. Um, but that is so uncalled for. And he, former Pitt guy, too. He's a Pitt star. Long-time NFL coach, and that's just disgusting for them to do such a thing. And uh, they did. I think they took it back, but still. Just a horrible look and a horrible uh, gesture by uh, – and a horrible statement there by uh, – Washington Post and Marty Schottenheimer deserves a lot better, a lot better, and every person deserves a lot better than that kind of respect on their obituary. And that does it for this week. Uh, Alex has done it for a week, wasn't it? It certainly was, Ryan. I look forward to doing it again next week for episode 20. 2-0 next week. Yep, it's been fun. We've done a lot. I mean, it, it went by fast. Uh we thank you all for listening. And remember, we'll catch us right here next week on Steel City Sports Talk. Remember, your one-stop podcast for everything Pittsburgh sports.